fun, isn't it? You know, I don't love it as much as I did as when I was younger, though, I have to admit. But it's still fun. This morning, we are concluding our series um, in First and Second Timothy. So we've been talking about different themes that have emerged in these books when the series is, um, is talking about uh, the lessons or instructions that we're getting from, our, from a spiritual father. And we see this relationship between Paul and Timothy and him just investing himself in him and pouring himself into him. And what it's really like, and it's really like our spiritual walk, is it's like a relay race. Um, anybody here ever run a relay race? Maybe in elementary school on field days. You know what I'm talking about, the relay race where you're, you're running in a race and you have to, it's not just your own race, you're part of a race that's larger than you, and you're, you pass a baton in that race, in this relay race. And so I really believe that what we're seeing in First and Second Timothy is we're seeing this passing of a baton, we're seeing this uh, one person's faith, the, the strength, the, the ministry, what God has poured into Paul, now Paul is pouring into Timothy, and he's letting him know, hey, don't just take this for yourself, but you need to pass it on to others. You know, the worst sound that a relay racer can hear goes something like this. It goes ping, ping, ping. And what that ping sound is, it's the sound of the baton bouncing on the track. In fact, nine years ago at the Beijing Olympics, uh, the United States men's and women's teams in the 4 by 100 meter relay race, they both dropped, both the men and the women's team dropped the baton. And they heard that. In fact, the last leg of the stick, or the last leg of the race, the stick was being passed uh, into Tyson Gay's hand, and it slipped out of his hand, and he dropped it. They would have won the gold. He said it's the first time. I don't know if it's true, but it said it's the first time in his life he had ever dropped the relay stick. But it cost him the gold. Four years before that in Athens, again, the American men were upset by the British because they dropped the stick in the relay race. And, and so it's so important. And we think about our Christian walk. I mean, often, we'll even talk about it today, Paul uses um, imagery of racing, imagery of athletics. And it's really what it's like. It's we're running our own race. Uh, we are running our leg of the race. But the Christian walk, the Christian race that we're in, this pursuing of the Lord, is not just our own, but we are one in the line of many that have come before us and those that are coming after us. Because do you guys realize, if we really think about it, that the Christian faith, the church, could be one generation away from extinction? Hey, have you ever thought about that? That if we don't do our job, if we don't continue to pass on our faith, if we don't continue to disciple those that are coming behind us, not just in age, but those that are, along, are coming along with us, that that we could actually drop the baton. And that's not what the Lord has intended. That's not what he wants. And, and as you think about a relay race, there's some, there's some things that you need, to, re, that you need to, to remember. These are just some things that I remember from running it in elementary school, is that it helps if you start fast and you start strong, that you just go for it. And, and sometimes that's a lot of times what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, is you start strong, you start fast, and you go for it, and that's good. And as you lead people to Christ, it's important how you help them get started. It's important that you walk with them, that you run the race with them, that you coach them, that you, you help them run fast and run strong. The second thing I remember our coaches telling us is to maintain proper running technique. 
that you don't let fatigue, you don't let other things impact your technique, but you, you continue to do it right. And we've talked about that the last few weeks, that there's ways to run this race that work. There's, we have instructions, and we're to follow that. The third thing is that you have to master the handoff. Okay, you have to master the handoff. You have to have your hand in the right position. You, you have to be there. You have to, you have to be speaking. In fact, when, even when you're in your younger racing, you call for the stick, and you tell them when you place the stick. You have to use your eyes. Now, as they get more advanced, then they run, and they're not always looking. Um, but when you're running when you're younger, they tell you to be looking. You have to make that eye contact, and they want you to always know your team. You need to know where your team is because you just have this, you have this zone. You have a limited opportunity of where you can have your handoff at in that transition zone. And if the person in front is running too fast, then the other person can't catch them. They won't make the handoff. And so, so it is in discipleship. So it is as we are passing our faith off to those that are, that are coming after us, that we're investing our life in, as Paul was doing with Timothy, that there's this window of opportunity that we have that we won't always have. The people that are in your life today may not be in your life next week or next year, and so you just have these opportunities that you have to capitalize on. The person whose desk is next to you at work, they may not be next to you next year. You have this window of opportunity to invest in them and to pour your life into them, and you have to make the very, very most of it. And so as this is happening, there's this, there's this window, and you have to know your team. You have to know uh, who they are and, and, and their pace, and then you have to keep a pace. That Even when you become tired, you have to keep going. And that, that's, that's how it is in our spiritual walk. And then you, then you want to finish strong. And, and they always have the fastest as the anchor because you've you got to finish strong in a relay. And so it is as we're running this race, our spiritual race, that we want to finish, finish this race strong. And so there's three points that I want to talk about this morning as we, as we look at this, at this illustration of running a race. The first one is receive the baton. But before I do that, will you show the picture of the ladies running. This is uh, from the Rio Olympics, and 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 I love this picture uh, because Felix there, who uh, she forgot her shoes at this race, so she 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 gets ready to run. She opens her bag, a running bag, and she has no shoes in it. But thankfully, Gardner had an extra pair of shoes, a little bit larger, but she said a couple of socks could fix it, and she ran the race. and And I just thought, what a beautiful picture of teamwork. Of that whatever it takes to continue the race, to keep the baton going, to, to make it through the finish line, that we would have that kind of determination and that kind of attitude as we, as we run our race. And so the first thing I want to talk about this morning is receiving the baton. Uh, the text for it is 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. And I'm just going to read these and just these verses and just point out some things as we look at these. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It says, if you point these things out, these things are, are what we've been talking about the last several weeks. It's what's preceding that in that chapter of, of, of following the Lord, of going after him, of rejecting the things of this world, rejecting the teachings that are of this world that are not of the Lord, and living a life, of, we talked about how that we treat others, of, of loving others and walking in purity and, and seeing the best for others. If we point these things out, to your brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister, or you'll be a good servant. And that's what the Lord has called us to be, is one who would serve those around us. You'll be that, and you'll be nourished on the truths of the faith. 
that as you walk in the faith, as you study the Word of God, that it nourishes you, it strengthens you. It's the food that gives you the energy that you need to be able to run this way, this race. And as you're nourished on the truths of faith and of the good teaching, then it is produced in your life. Verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Have nothing to do with that. It's, it's, there's so many, like, sidetracking things that can just take you away from the pure and simple gospel of who Jesus is and what he's intended and the things that really, really matter. And he's like, people can spend a lot of time talking about things that don't really matter. He says, talk about those things that do really matter. And he, he says this, he says, rather than doing that, again in verse 7, he says, train, train yourself to be godly. This word train here is, it's, it's gymnase in the Greek, and it's where we get the word gymnasium from, as you could obviously tell. And so here he's using this athletic metaphor, this picture of going into spiritual training, of training in yourself to be godly, that it doesn't just happen automatically, that there's training that's required. Uh, some of the other words that are used here are the words like agonize or agony or endurance, that there's this process that takes place in our life as we're training ourselves to be godly, to follow the Lord. Uh, verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What he's saying here is he's not saying that, that this physical training does not have value. The some value doesn't mean that it's less important. What it means is that physical training is important now in the, in the physical life, in the, the life that we have right now. But what he's saying is that spiritual training has benefit not only now, but for all of eternity. And so he's saying physical training is great, do it, but even more so the spiritual conditioning, the spiritual training, the spiritual pushing through that will cause strength, that will cause endurance, that will cause capacity for us to be able to go further, faster, stronger, and bring others with us. That's, that's what Paul's saying. And he's saying they hold a promise both for now and, and for the future that we do these things because we have faith that God will reward those who diligently seek him, that we really do reap what we sow and that he really will make that difference in our life. Verse 9, he says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He said, this is why we labor. This is why we work hard. He's saying, this is why, and it's, it's, it, the, the idea here is pushing through weariness. He says, this is why we continue to push through. This is why we, 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 we push through the weariness. He goes, and we strive. This is why we strive. The picture here of this striving is like, if you've seen the Olympic uh, dead weight lifters, where they're lifting this super heavy weight, and you just see them just striving to lift it. That's the concept. That's the idea. And I wonder, do we really put that kind of focus, that kind of energy, that kind of passion, that kind of training into our spiritual conditioning? Do we really take that approach? It's, it's the idea of the running back who's dragging the defensive lineman across the end zone. And he's scoring that touchdown. And he's striving. He's, he's just pulling just pulling that defensive player behind him. It's that, it's that athlete who's running the race, who's striving for that last step to cross that finish line, to break that tape. This is the picture that, that Paul is trying to create for Timothy. He's saying push through, even through agonizing, even through labor, push through that because, 
Because, verse 9, because we have a hope in the living God. It's because of the hope that we have in the Lord that we pursue, that we endure, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He's saying he's the Savior of all people. Does that mean that all people will be saved? No, what it means is that the potential for all people is there to be saved, that he is the Savior that is provided for all the world. But for those that believe, that salvation is realized. And so if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he is available as your Savior today. It's simply responding to him. It's simply submitting your life to him and receiving that salvation. Verse 11, he says, command and teach these things. And we've talked about in this series how that does not just mean a platform ministry. That means as you're living life, as you're discipling your kids, raising your kids, pouring yourself into those around you, that we're doing it in such a way that we're teaching, that we're sharing, that we're showing what the Lord has shown us. Verse 12, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Don't let the condition of, 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 of where you're at in life, even even of your age. Don't, don't, let, that, don't let others look down on you. Don't, don't take that inferior place, but pursue God all the way. And he goes, and, and do it by setting an example in, in the words that you speak, in your conduct, in the life that you live. Let your life show that regardless of age, that you're pursuing the Lord and that you're setting an example in your, in your words, in your conduct, in love and faith and in purity. He's saying, Timothy, go for it. Go for it. Just live all out for Jesus. And I believe that's what the Lord's saying, the same things to us today. It's so applicable to us that we have to receive that baton. We have, to, we have to live it. We have to pursue it. That if we are not receiving that baton, if we're not receiving what those before us are trying to pour into us, those around us, that the faith that's been passed down to us, that if we don't grab that, that if we don't grab it, we will never be able to pass it on to somebody else. And so it's so important that we live this life like Paul is instructing Timothy. We go all out. We don't hold anything back. We, lay it, we leave it all on the field. We leave it all on the track that we live our life in such, in such a way. Uh, one of my mentors who's a, a prolific author, I was reading an account of his. He, he pastored for many years. He's a professor. He's a writer. And he tells a story about how him and his wife had gone on a had gone on a vacation in the Rocky Mountains, and they were, they were hiking, and they had gone on a, a group hike, and a ranger was leading them on a hike, and, and they had stopped for dinner. After they had finished dinner, he had told them about a summit that he wanted to take them to that just had incredible, beautiful sunsets. But the thing was that this, this late evening hike was over 1,000 feet um, in incline, and it was very, very rugged and rough terrain. And so as they began to climb this mountain, as they began to head to the top, uh, this pastor's wife began to, began to start falling behind and further behind. And she was, she was behind the group. And the ranger noticed this. And what he did was amazing. And he stopped. And he stopped and they waited for her to come up. And when, he, when she came up, she, he, said, he said, now you are going to become the leader of our hike. And so the one that was in the very back is now the leader. And, and what she says is that she was tired, she was worn out, she actually wanted to quit. And she wasn't the best hiker there, and she sure wasn't the best athlete. They actually had a superstar athlete that was in their group, 
but because she had been placed in charge, because she had been given that place of leadership, of leading this team, that she, because of that, she pushed through. Because of that, she was able to finish the hike because she knew that others were counting on her, and she couldn't give up. And I think life is a lot like that at times, that we have to be willing to receive this baton that's being passed on to us. And sometimes we don't want to. Sometimes we'd rather somebody else lead the hike. We'd rather somebody else have to be out in front because if so, then it'd be easier on us. But I think the Lord's saying to us today is, no, go ahead and take that baton. Take that leadership. Take that, take that role. Take that, that responsibility because when you feel that responsibility, when you know others are counting on you, then you don't give up. Then you don't give in because you don't want to let your team down. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, receive the baton. Take the baton as it's being passed to you. The second thing is pass the baton. Don't just keep it, right? What happens in a relay race if the runner never passes? Imagine imagine watching a relay race, and, and the person is just running as hard as they can. The other person is there to receive it, but they just ignore them, and they just keep running as hard and fast as they can. Everybody would be like, what? What do you do? That's not the point, Right? And so it is with our walk with the Lord, with this this spiritual race that we're running. The point is to be able to pass the baton on to others. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, Paul is saying this to Timothy. Now we're in 2 Timothy. We were in 1 Timothy. Now we're in 2 Timothy. This is close to the end of Paul's life. Uh, He he knows at any moment that he can be executed. Uh, He's wrapping up his thoughts. The next point will be in chapter 4 where it even gets more so. But here he begins to talk. Talk to Timothy, and he says, you then, my son, this is his spiritual son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the power that's available to you for what Christ has done. He's saying, Timothy, Timothy, I know this isn't up to your strength, but this is up to the strength that is in you and the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he said, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So he's saying here, not only are you receiving from me, but I want you to pour into others. And if you look at this, how many generations, spiritual generations are in this one verse? Well, it's at least four. It's Paul. We know that Paul received from Jesus but we know that it's Paul pouring into Timothy. We know it's Timothy pouring into reliable people. And then it's those reliable people pouring themselves the teaching, the instructions, the discipleship into others. And so we see four generations. We see in this one verse a four-legged relay race. That this truth, that the faith that of, of how you do ministry, how you do life, how you love your family, how you reach the lost how you minister, how you serve in a body of believers. He's saying, pass that on and then teach them to pass it on, that we have to be those that pass on the baton or the baton gets dropped. Now, my boys, my boys, my my daughter, my son-in-law, all my kids, they love this app called Snapchat, all right? And so I know I'm a little bit old for Snapchat, so I'm on Snapchat just to give my kids a hard time, right? Because you get teenagers, you do that, right? You just do things that you know will give them a heart. So, so I'm on Snapchat with them. And, and so I have re- something I didn't know about, but it's called a Snapchat streak. And, and so as, and as we've traveled with our kids or done different things, I've heard them talk about, i got to keep the streak going. 
And so I've, I've asked him about that. And so what a streak is is where there's not a day that, that would not go by without a Snapchat, a, a message, a video, a picture uh, being sent to a friend. And so the record right now is 783 days where communication has gone back and forth between two people. And I'm telling you, people get stressed over the Snapchat um, streak. Like, like you got to be able to do it. Like, it's like you're letting somebody down. I mean, people get angry and they get mad if somebody drops the Snapchat streak. I mean, I'm not joking. This is legit. Like, this is serious. Like, this causes people stress that they're going to. And I just thought, what if in the, in the family of God, if we were so concerned about passing our faith on to others. That we, it's like a Snapchat streak that, that we just could not let what we're trying, to, what God has done. Our, we have to share that with somebody else. We can't let the baton get dropped. Does, does that make sense? And so we got to keep it going. We have to keep it going. He says this in, in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, repeat basic essentials over and over to God's people that is sometimes it's this going over some of the same things, but he's saying it's so important that we keep reminding ourselves of what the Lord has done for us and to us. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Proclaim the gospel with intensity. He says, Keep your watch, challenge and warn and urge people. Don't quit. Keep it simple. And that's what the Lord's saying to you. And I think so many times we come up with reasons why we can't. And Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying to you today, don't come up with the reasons why you can't. That's not what it's about. All we have to do is proclaim, share, share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with intensity, with intentionality. Keep on your watch. Don't drop the ball. Don't drop the baton. Stay awake. Stay sober. Stay there and stay in the game. Keep on your watch. Challenge others. Warn them about, about what's going on, what, what, what can happen, and urge people, encourage people in the faith. Don't quit and keep it simple. Do you guys think you can do that? Let me ask you again. Do you guys think you can do that? I know you can. I know we can do this. Did you know that in, in um, educational circles and especially in discipleship circles, uh, the, the, really the research is showing that that teaching is not enough. Even among our, our young people, our kids, our teenagers, that teaching is not enough. What is really needed is, is transformation. What's really needed is mentorship. And so one of the things is we're leading the church, as we're, as we're investing in the next generations, and we're looking, at the, looking to really help them solidify their faith, is that mentorship is what, is what really makes a difference. And I believe that's what makes a difference in, in, in our lives as well as adults, is not just somebody who tells us something, but being willing to walk in life and to be able to show people, hey, this is what it looks like, and it be based in a relationship. And so as you make a, a difference in the life of others, it's not just going to happen with the words that you say, but it's going to happen by living a life with them, of walking with them, of pouring what God has poured into you, pouring it into them. That we are mentors. We're, and, and this is what one person said, and I love this. It's talking about in the life of the church of being a volunteer versus being a mentor. And this is what this educator said. She said, to be a volunteer means being free to give service or not. It implies an optional role, something we can choose to do, and when we're tired, choose not to do it. 
But service is not optional in the life of a Christian. We are called to care for one another. We're, in, we're, we're called to care for one another, not invited to volunteer when it's convenient for us. When life throws its curveballs, it is a thriving mentor relationship that will give our kids something to, to tangible to hold on to before they are lovingly pointed back to their heavenly Father. And so we want to be ones that continue to pass on the baton. And then finally, number three, is we want to finish strong. We want to finish strong. We want to finish this race strong. And we want to be that anchor person that just drives it through. And we finish strong. And here we see, and I'm going to cover a, a lot of passage here, but I'm going to do it quickly. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. It's in the app if you want to look at it in our Grace app, in the market or, or in the app store. It's also going to be on the, on the screen. And this is out of the message. This is Paul's last chapter to Timothy in his letter. Of course, it wasn't a chapter in his letter. It was simply a letter that probably he was dictating to Luke, who was there at the prison with him in Rome. But these are the last words. I mean, this is, when you think about Paul finishing strong, these are some great words to look at. And, and, and if you even think about if some of the most important people in your life, if it was at the end of your, you thought could be the very end of your life, what would you be saying to them? What would you be sharing? And, and this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Again, this is in the message. He goes, I can't impress this on you too strongly. Like he goes, I can't emphasize this enough. I can't, I can't make this more, seem more important than what it even is. He says, God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, the living and the dead. And he's saying this in a way to cause him to really, um, like, <clears throat> pay attention. That the Lord is judging, the Lord is looking. And so that can have, that has a serious connotation to it, of it. But it also has a connotation of that the Lord is a good judge. He's a righteous judge. And so when things aren't right in this world, that we know he will make them right in the next world. And so we have them that he's, and so it's not this looking over in a condemning way, but it is a way of evaluating. It is a way of us being, hey, the Lord really is paying attention. But to me, it's also very much a sign of encouragement that the Lord knows what's going on. He's making judgment. He's making things that are not right, right, both for the living and for the dead. And so here he goes. He, he is about to break into the open with his rule. That's what we talked about earlier. That's what we sang about earlier. The Lord is coming. And so proclaim the message. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim what Jesus has done. Proclaim it with intensity. Keep your watch. Challenge them. Warn them. Urge people. Don't quit. Keep it simple. Verse 3, you're going to find out there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching. And this isn't just platform ministry. This is you're going to be sharing the truth of Scripture, the truth of what word, the Word says to your family, to your friends, and they're not going to want to hear it. Anybody ever experienced that? They, they, don't, they don't want to hear it. But they will want to fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages, that they'll go after just these false teachings, these things that are not true. Did you know that the majority of cult members are former church members? And they got pulled astray. They started listening to doctrine, listening to teaching that is, that is not true. That there's those that, that, and one of the ways you can judge a corruption of a person, a corruption of society, of something, is when things that are wrong are called right, and when things that are right are called wrong. And that's false. That's false doctrine. And, and he's saying, you're going to tell people, hey, that's not right, and they're not going to want to hear it. 
or you're going to say, hey, this is the right way to do it, and people aren't going to want to hear it. He says, he's saying, that's part of it, Timothy. Like, you need to know that. But don't stop. Even when that happens, don't let that stop you. Keep, keep your eye on what you're doing. Keep focused on this race. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. Verse 6. He said, Timothy, I need you to take over. I'm about to die. He said, I'm about to be poured out like an offering on God's altar. This was a picture of the Old Testament of the sacrifice, sacrificial system, system where a, a, an animal would have been offered and they would have had a, a cup that they would have poured over the sacrifice as a drink offering. And that's, what he's, that's the imagery that he's using, the Greek word there um, of this, of being poured out, of being released, of being set free. It's kind of like the idea of, of hoisting anchor and a ship setting sail. He's like, I'm getting ready to set sail. It's the same imagery in the Greek of a tent that's about to be folded up and put away. And we know that's a promise of our, of our life that's to come in heaven, that, that this tent, this body that we have now, that we're gonna, it's going to be upgraded, right, for a, for a body, for a tent that's not made with human hands. That's, that's of the Lord. And, 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 and it's also here the picture of a prisoner being released. And, and he was facing execution. That wasn't the release. The release was that he was about to be promoted into heaven. And so here he said, I'm about to be poured out. He's like, and he was doing it voluntarily. I mean, he was, he had given his life to service for the Lord. And, and this was an, an honor. He was, he had, he had, um, in Philippians, he had talked about being willing to do that, how he could see that day coming off in the future. But, but now he's, it's becoming a reality and he sees it about to happen. So he said, you take over. And then, then Paul says this to Timothy. He said, this is the only race worth running. It's the only race worth running. And our culture will tell you there's a lot of other races. There's a lot of competing values in our world. And, and Paul's telling Timothy, this is the only race that really, really matters. He says, I've run it. I've run right to the finish. He's saying, I'm running through the finish line. When that anchor person's running for the end, they tell him to run through the line. You don't stop running until after you've passed the line. You don't start slowing down on the way knowing that you're almost there, but you push through, you push past that line. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I've pushed through, I've run through, I've, I, I've done it. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting, God's applause. Isn't that the way we want to live our life? We want to live our life away, not for the applause of man, but for the applause of God, that he's cheering us on, that he's encouraging us, that we know of anything else, that we have his pleasure upon us. He says here he'll be an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming, that he's a good God. Verse 9, he's saying, Timothy, get here as fast as you can. And I'm going to read these next passage of verses because they list a lot of names. A lot of names. Because Paul didn't, he didn't run this race alone. He was one who had received the baton. He was one who was passing the baton on. He was one who was finishing strong. He didn't live his life in isolation. He lived his life pouring it out for others. And so we see a list of the others in his life here in just the next few verses. Verse 9, he says, get here as fast as you can. Timothy. He says, Demas, who is chasing fads, went off to Thessalonica and left me here. He's like, Demas has deserted me. 
He says Crescens is in the Galatia province. He had, he had sent him there to minister. Titus is in Dalmatia, which is modern-day Yugoslavia. He says Luke is the only one here with me. Bring Mark with you. He'll be my right-hand man, which is interesting because Mark here had the, on Paul's first missionary journey had bailed. He had bailed, and, and, and Barnabas wanted to bring him on his second missionary journey. And Paul's like, no way. That guy, he doesn't finish what he starts. He, he, he's not worth anything. Don't bring him with us. And so Paul and Barnabas ended up separating and doing different missions trips because of Mark. But now Mark has proven himself faithful. And, and Paul's like, man, I can use that guy. He's great. Bring him. He's going to be my right-hand man. And I'll tell you, that gives me courage. That gives me hope because I've failed. I've messed up. I want to be like Mark that in, 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 in spite of my failings, in spite of my, my not being good enough, that the Lord can still work in me and still develop me, that I can still fulfill his purposes. And so he's going to be my right-hand man since I'm sending Ty- Tychus to Ephesus, which is where Timothy is. He's bringing Timothy with him. He's sending Tychus there. You see how he's just moving all these people around. These are all just so important to him. And I love this. I love this next verse just because of the the practicality of it. He says, "Bring." I just invented a word. That's, that's yeah. It says, "Bring the winter coat I left in Troas with Carpus, also the books and the parchment notebooks." He's saying, "Grab my jacket and my backpack and my books and my laptop because I'm going to need them." And so he's like, "I need I, I, these are things. I just the practicality of just the real. I mean, just." We think of Paul as a superhuman believer. Who, he's like, man, I'm cold. I need my coat, right? Just the real-life stuff. This is one of the ways you know that Scripture's true because somebody who's making this stuff up, they wouldn't put in there that he needed his coat, right? These are real letters to real people. And he says this. He wraps up with this. He says, at my preliminary hearing, no one stood by me. Can you imagine that? On trial for his faith, and no one stood by me. Oh, I, I, ooh, I passed Alexander, verse 14. Watch out for Alexander the coppersmith, fiercely opposed to our message. He caused no end of trouble. He was just harassing, just giving Paul a hard time. And he says, but God will give him what he's got coming. And that wasn't a, a precatory prayer of, oh, God, you get him. No, it was a realization that payday always doesn't come on Friday, right? That he just trusted the Lord, that the Lord would just take care of the situation. And he goes, at my preliminary hearing, no one stood by me. They all ran like scared rabbits. But it doesn't matter. The master stood by me, and he helped me spread the message loud and clear to those that had never heard it. I was snatched from the jaws of the lion. Well, who was that? Was it like a gladiator situation in the, in the, uh, in the Colosseum in Rome? Probably not, because he was a Roman citizen. They didn't do that to Roman citizens. Uh, scholars would say that would probably indicate Satan, that Satan had attempted to, to kill him, to destroy him, and God had delivered him from the jaws of that lion. And God's looking after me, he says, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him, praise forever. Oh, yes. Say hello to Priscilla and Aquila, this woman and this man, who ministered and who, who he had done ministry with. Also to the family of Onis, Onisiphus, Erastus, stayed behind in Corinth. I had to leave Tromphius, sick in Miletus. And so he just lists these. This is what's going on with people. Paul loved people. He says, try hard to get here before winter. And then he sends greetings from his friends that are there in Rome with him. He says, God be with you. Grace be with you. And he, he's... 
And, and, and this is what I want you to walk away with today. And we have to receive the baton, we have to pass on the baton, and we have to finish strong. And as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about it was the very reality of the restriction of Paul being in prison that forced him to develop these other men and women. That it was, if he would not have been stuck in these prisons, he, first of all, we know he wouldn't have written the, the letters that he wrote, but also he may have done a lot of that himself. Those different things that he taught Titus to do, that he taught Timothy to do, that he taught Luke to do, that he taught Mark to do, that he poured himself into others because of the restrictions in his life. That the restrictions in his life, the areas of confinement, the areas of that he wished it wouldn't have been so, those very things are what caused or what were used or what were leveraged to see the gospel go forth, to see his life poured into others so that they could pour their life into others. And so one question I have for you today is what, what are some areas of restriction? What are some areas of I wish it weren't this way in my life? That actually that very place that you're in, that very jail, so to speak, that very place of I wish it wasn't like this, what additional opportunity is there because of that? What opportunity is there to really pass the baton on to others? That you're intentional about it. See, a baton, when, when a baton is being passed from one runner to the next, right, they don't just flip it and hope they get it, right? I mean, they do if they're like about to fall and it's just like their last-ditch effort. But the probability of, that, of, a, of a successful handoff is minuscule. No, there is such intentionality of placing that baton in the hand right in front of them. And there's intentionality to receive it. And so we must live a life with intentionality of passing on, of sharing our faith, of developing, of discipling, of being spiritual parents to those that are, that are coming along beside us and behind us. And what, I just wonder what places in our life that we would view as restrictions, actually God might want to leverage so the gospel could go forth in ways that we never thought possible. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for this example of Paul and of Timothy, of people that were not living their lives for themselves. Lord, but who were living their life in such a way to pass on what had been passed on to them. Lord, help us not to be selfish Christians. Lord, your word says, Lord, that much you've received, so freely give. Lord, we want to be those who freely, freely give, Lord, what you have given to us, that we'd be faithful to pass this on to others. I just want to give you a moment just to interact with the Lord. And Is there any point of restriction, any point of, I wish it wasn't this way in my life, that God could actually use that to further his kingdom in your life? Before we proceed today, I, I want to ask you, is there anybody here who does not know the Lord? 
does not know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you came here today hoping somebody would give you that opportunity, I want to do that today. If you do not know Jesus, if you've not received his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, or maybe you've walked away from it, today is a day of salvation for you. He's here for you. If that's you, you, would you would you just get my attention? Would you raise your hand or look up at me? And I want to pray for you right where you are this morning. Is anybody here that's you're, that's you? Saying, Jay, that's me. I need Jesus today. Lord, we, we, we're going to go from this place, Lord. Lord, we don't want to go focus on ourselves, but Lord, we want to go. We want to live a life, Lord, where we pass the baton on, where we finish strong, Lord. Where that what you've done to us, Lord, we want to do to others. And Lord, those things that we wish somebody would have done for us, but they didn't, Lord, that we would do that for others. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.